Hi. I am happy to be here doesn't even cover it. Like, I have been jittery for like weeks about getting back to church. I have been having actual nightmares that I would forget all of my notes because I was too excited to be here. I'm just so happy to be having church with everyone and to be seeing everyone and, you know, the, the, the squinting eyes that suggests a smile and everything else. I'm just, I'm so happy. And this is, this is a very special day for me. This is my 29th Christian birthday. This is the anniversary of the day that I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I was three years old and I've never looked back. I, um... In fact, there's probably an argument to be made that I've been a Christian my whole life, that Jesus has been just the air that I've breathed, and I get to continue in that. And so this is a special day for me. Um, It's also a special day because it's my in-law's 40th wedding anniversary, and they couldn't be here with us today, but that's cool too, so I like to mention things like that. We've been in a summer series that we've called Campfire Favorites, where we've been sharing our favorite stories from the Bible, and sometimes they've been big things, sometimes they've been little things, but it's all been kind of from the heart, and it's been really great hearing different people from the congregation come together and share, and I've personally really enjoyed that. So today, I have another installment in that series for you guys. One of my, um, it, this, one, this one falls under the funny anecdote categories. This isn't some grand epic. This is one of the things in the Bible that I just, it tickles me and I wanted to share it with you guys. So let's have a word of prayer before we dive right in. Lord God, we have much to be thankful for. Thank you for bringing us back together again. Thank you for safety, both that we live in a country where it is safe for us to gather and worship and also that we've been spared so much of the destruction caused by this disease. We pray for our brothers and sisters who have been affected, that your mercy and your kindness would comfort them, that your power would bring healing to their situations. We pray that this, kind, this crisis would bring about a revitalization of our faith. Pray also for all of those in Lebanon who have been affected by the terrible thing that happened there this week, Lord. We pray, Father, that we would be so aware of your presence today, that especially after a time apart, that we wouldn't take gathering as your people for granted. Open our hearts to your word, that we may be your people. In the name of your Son we pray, amen. Jesus is amazing. Don't you agree? Nod. I'm not a screen this time. I can hear you. Jesus is, he's good, he's loving, he's compassionate, but he's also smart as a whip. He's brilliant. And I don't find we often talk about that. Jesus in the Gospels is constantly in conflict with the religious leaders of his day. We often summarize this simply as the Pharisees but he was in pretty significant conflict with the Sadducees and the scribes too. The brilliance of Jesus is on display all through his conversations with these religious leaders. I could pick so many examples, but let's just focus on the Gospel of Mark because we are trying to keep our services a little shorter due to all of the things going on. So let's just focus on the Gospel of Mark and we'll look at the story of the paralyzed man in Mark chapter two. I'm not not even going to read it. You probably know it. This is the story where the man is lowered through the roof on a mat, and Jesus sees the the faith of his friends, and it's a very beautiful story. Jesus can heal the man. Absolutely, he can. But the first thing that he says is, your sins are forgiven. 
And the teachers of the law don't like this. Who is this who speaks blasphemy? And Jesus' response is brilliant. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up, take up your mat, and walk? Anyone can say anything, right? But then Jesus heals the man, and he backs up his words with action, and the leaders are stunned, and they can't come up with anything to say. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. A little later, still in chapter 2, the disciples are plucking grain as they walk through a field and eating it on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders are cranky. Jesus replies, what about David when he ran from Saul and he ate the temple bread which only the priests can eat? Again, the leaders have nothing to say to this. Jesus doesn't just cut the legs out from under their outrage, he also shows them the right way to go. And he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's brilliant. I could go on, but I could find you more examples of this, but I think you get the idea, and of course we need to keep it moving. This brings us to the story that I actually wanted to share, and it's found in Mark chapter 8. Now, Mark chapter 8 is a really important chapter. If you study the Gospel of Mark, Mark 8 is kind of a hinge chapter. There's, there's this, this rising action that gets to Mark chapter 8, and then it changes. And so there's, there's this shift in Mark 8 towards now Jesus is working towards Jerusalem. So in Mark chapter 8, Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. This is where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus says, you got it. And then in the next chapter, Jesus has the Mount of Transfiguration where the disciples see Jesus for who he really, really is. And Jesus' acts become a lot more public and he starts getting into real conflict with the Pharisees. So Mark chapter eight is really important as a chapter. There's so much going on and in the middle of it, there's this funny little story. See, the context of Mark 8 starts out with Jesus feeding the 4,000. Jesus does this amazing miracle. They only have seven loaves of bread, and Jesus multiplies the bread and feeds 4,000 people with seven baskets of bread left over. It's an amazing miracle. Then Jesus gets into the boat, and we get this little interlude. Let's read, starting in verse 9. About 4,000 were present, and he had sent, after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Jesus, he's so brilliant, who cuts through the layers, who gets to the heart of the issue. Jesus, who is so quick and so ready, he meets these people, he sighs deeply, and he says, what is with you people? And he gets back on the boat. This is not what I was expecting from this story. Maybe this isn't a laugh out loud kind of story, but it is strange, it's unexpected, and it's memorable for how different it is. Not to mention, Jesus just has performed an amazing miracle, and he'll perform another one when he gets to the other side of the lake where he'll open the eyes of the blind man. 
This is the story where the blind man sees people walking around his trees. That's right at this. There's no question about Jesus' ability to perform a sign. The issue seems to be that these people have hard hearts. They've seen so much, and yet they won't believe. My son, Luke, is three years old. You may remember him. It's been a while. But every night, we try to read to him from a children's Bible storybook that we have. And every night, Luke wants to hear the same story. He doesn't want to work through the book and hear all of them. Oh, no. He wants to go, go to the beginning. It's the second volume of a book. This, the book is the second volume, so it's not, the beginning isn't Genesis. He wants to hear the story of Gian. Gian, Dada. Do you know Gian? Oh, you probably put a D in there. It's Gideon. This is the story. Luke wants to hear Gideon every night. He loves the story of Gideon. He especially loves it when I do little sound effects that Gideon gives a signal and the people blow their trumpets and they smash their jars. That's his favorite part. Well, Gideon has this neat little bit at the beginning that we kind of skip over in the children's version. So this story is found in Judges 6, and we're not going to read it, but I will tell you the story. You see, I love the book of Judges because it's just so much fun. In Judges 6, Israel is being oppressed by the nation of Midian. They send raiders every year to steal all the crops and the livestock. So God chooses Gideon to lead the people and defeat the invaders. An angel appears to Gideon and tells him this. Now, I have to assume that this angel looks like any other human, because otherwise what happens next would be totally insane if the angel looked recognizably like an angel. Because Gideon gets snarky. The angel greets him, tells him what God's plan is, and Gideon says, where has God been while all of this has been going on? Can you relate to that feeling? I think it's a pretty relatable one. To ask, where is God? Where has God been while the people he claims to love have been ravaged? But Gideon becomes at least convinced enough to bring an offering. He makes a meal, he brings it before the angel, and he puts it on a rock. And the, the angel touches the end of his staff to the rock. And the rock bursts into flame and devours the food. If you're Gideon, are you convinced? I mean, that's pretty crazy. That rock just burst into flame when the guy touched it. Clearly, there's something spiritual going on here because that is not natural. Gideon must be ready to go lead Israel's army now. And he does. He sends out messengers to gather the army. But then he gets nervous. And he asks God for another sign. He lays out a fleece, the wool from a sheep, on a threshing floor. I'm not a farmer. I have no idea what a threshing floor is, but... It must be outside. The sign Gideon asks is that the next morning, the fleece be wet with dew and the ground be dry. Now, honestly, if you're going to ask God for a sign, this is a pretty good way to do it because it's thoroughly unnatural. Sometimes, birds just fly overhead. Sometimes, job offers just come. Sometimes, shooting stars just happen. But this, this is a violation of nature. Only God can do this. And God does it. The Lord is so merciful. 
And then Gideon, you gotta respect the cheek on this guy, asks for another sign. This time he's gonna lay out the fleece again, and this time he wants the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry, and God does it again. Gideon fortunately gets the message, and I say fortunately because I don't know if he could have gotten away with another. Gideon has seen a science-defying miracle with the fleece not once but twice, and he's seen a rock burst into flame, and he's been visited by an angel. Seriously, how much convincing does this guy need? Contrast this with another story from the Gospels, where Jesus meets Peter in Luke chapter 5. Peter has been out fishing all night and has caught nothing. He's heard Jesus preach, but then Jesus gives him fishing advice. And it's one thing to be called by God to do something you don't know about, like Gideon being called to lead an army. But it feels like something else entirely when someone you don't know tries to comment on your area of expertise. There's probably another current events illustration there, but let's not. But Peter... He does it. Jesus says to let down the nets for a catch, and Peter obeys. In fact, Peter makes his objection known that this is crazy, but he's doing it because Jesus told him. I wonder if Jesus had any of this in mind when he met those Pharisees in Dalmanutha. I wonder if he was remembering how many signs he'd already done in his ministry. If he was thinking about all the ways that the scriptures point to him, if he was thinking of the faith he'd already seen displayed by so many people, by so many unlikely people, like fishermen and tax collectors, and then these people who study God's word, who should know better, want more. What is with these people? I'm not much of a fire and brimstone guy. You know how they say there are two ways to motivate people, with a, a carrot or a stick? Well, I'm, I'm a carrot guy. I like to talk about the joy of following Jesus, about hope and relationship and about what God calls us to more than I like to talk about what God is saving us from. Which is not to say that I deny any of what teacher, scripture teaches about the consequences of sin, I don't. But I think that's what today is. I think this story is a reminder for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, who read our Bibles, who've heard many sermons, and who still want to demand God do something special to prove himself to us. I don't want God to look at me and ask, what is with this guy? How many times do I have to prove myself? How much do I have to show myself faithful before he trusts me? What are the things in your life that you can call to mind to remember the faithfulness of God? They don't have to be big things. My grandmother used to brag of how God would help her find parking spots it sounds silly, but she was convinced that God was helping her, and this built her faith. Or maybe there was a difficult time in your life, and God brought you through, and you need to remind yourself not only of how deep the pain was, but also of how wide the arms of the Father opened to you in that time. This is why our gathering together is so important. We get to encourage one another in the ways that God has been faithful in our lives. It's also why we read this book, because it records the great acts of God from the past. Let's remember, and we'll practice being the kinds of people that Jesus calls us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. 
not only for the lessons and wisdom that it brings us, but also for the humor and the joy that it shares. We pray that the soil of our hearts would be fruitful ground, that we would treasure what we've received from you today. Thank you that you've never left us alone, not even for a moment. We can trust you for all we need. May we go from your presence in the knowledge and power of your love. Protect this flock, Father, until we can meet again. Amen.